Hello and welcome to Property Roundup on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on new trends emerging within the property industry. And the show is brought to you in partnership with Property District, your communications partner. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Kim Watchhorn, food writer and photographer. Her website there is sarahkim.ie. And Sarah Sarah Kim is here today to talk to us about her experience of getting a mortgage in Ireland. Sarah Kim, thanks a million for joining us today. I'm I'm going to start by asking, how has your journey to becoming a house owner, how how is it going? Hi, thanks for having me on board. Um, As you saw from my TikTok, it's been a rocky start. You can hear that I actually am sick because of this whole stressful process. Um, but I've been trying to buy a house or learn how to buy a house for the last few years. <laughs> and I think with every little bit I do or every step I take, I learn that little bit more of information. <laughs> and as you're learning, as you're learning more, is it helping or are you learning more about the hurdles? Because it has become increasingly difficult over the last decade and a half. Um, no, I'm learning loads of things that are actually helping me. Great. Um, learning things, maybe like hints that you need to be able to like get that house or maybe mistakes I've made that have hindered me from actually getting a house. Um, my most recent um, hurdle was I went sale agreed on a property and I had been in a like a bidding war for a week um, and it was quite a stressful process as many people know uh won the bidding um and it was based in my hometown so as you can tell like I I really love where I'm from and anybody knows me like knows I want to live here and I'm very passionate about it um and like my dream location uh won the bidding process when sale agreed and then the auctioneer decided to give it to the lower bidder now this I didn't think was possible to happen um and while before and the TikTok you guys probably seen was I had struggles with the bank or I just wasn't aware of the 80% loan to value for a one bed whereas I really needed to go for a two bed and for my mortgage which is it's not that low but it is pretty low what you're able to buy for that is so small that a two bed is literally just really not in great condition but I need something that's also habitable so there's like so many layers to getting a house it's not just seeing a house buying it it's like my restrictions are it needs to be two bed it needs to be habitable I can't buy something that needs to be done up because my mortgage limits me to buying something that already is habitable obviously and doesn't give me the I don't have that percentage to spend after I purchase. Um, I can't buy at auction because buying through mortgage at auction is far too risky. Far too risky. You just don't want to go there. Um, I also can't buy land and build on it because I don't have that type of mortgage, uh, which I've only learned by getting a mortgage. Um, yeah, so there's loads of things. So anyway, when I found this house, it was perfect. It wasn't exactly what I wanted but it was 
what I needed for now. Um, so when that was stripped of me, that was devastating. Uh, but the bank actually tried to do everything in their power to get the house for me, which was like such a turn in the books uh, because I thought the bank was against me, but I forgot that it's it's like life is working for us, not against us, you know. So when I realized that, I was like, OK, like, let's just let this house go and hopefully something else will come, you know. But uh, that's it, that's a great attitude to have, Sarah Kim. But do you are you comfortable to share where your house hunt is geographically? Yeah, it's in Wexford. Okay. Um, it was originally in Dublin. So I had found a house in Portobello had gone sale agreed on that originally because a lot of my work is based yeah not only in Dublin but world or world and Irish um so I do travel a lot with my job but most of it is based in Dublin so I was thinking I need to be based in Dublin um so then I found the house in Portobello originally and that was um only a one bed but I had bid on it and won it obviously um and then it was when I went to my bank they were like oh do you have the 65,000 like I didn't have that in my account because I've spent quite a bit of the last year traveling um so I didn't have 65k in cash to spare understandably yeah you see I, I you know look there's a couple of things that you've said there that I want to break them down so that this can be really useful for other house Absolutely. hunters in your position yeah. um so look let's start with um the loan to value because I think most most first time buyers going in understand that if they're buying something that is in a habitable condition that they only need 10% and they mm -hmm. might not be aware that actually if it's a two bedroom yeah, and they they will need to, they will need extra income. Um, the other side of it there, you know, there's a couple of things. So first of all, um, you know, you talked about being involved in the bidding war. You know, estate agents generally don't decide who gets the property. Generally, it's that they they advise the homeowner, and generally that advice would be, um, based on how certain is this prospect. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, and it, by the way, it's a good thing that a higher a higher bid that's conditional isn't counted the same as a lower bid that's unconditional. Um, so do you know the one you missed out on um, where you felt the auctioneer decided to give it to a lower bidder? Was that because of certainty? Do you know, was the other bidder a cash bidder or were they, um, did they have more certainty? Because did you have your approval in principle at that stage? I did. Yeah, I had my improvement principle and the the limiting factor for me and probably why they went with the lower bidder was because mine was up in it was I had two weeks, just under two weeks to get my letter of approval in or like processed. Yeah. Um, And I think once they figure that out, they must have advised the seller to go with a lower bidder then in this case and the other other bidder was partly a cash buyer I'm aware of but partly cash buyer means partly financed as well so do you think the decision the 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 kind of deciding factor there was that your approval on principle only had another couple of weeks to run I think they thought I wouldn't get everything processed in time um but I had I've gone through this before. I had everything in order. I had my solicitor ready. The bank was processed everything super fast for me because they knew the time limit on it. Um, yeah, 
once they sniff any bit of it, once the auctioneer state agent sniffs any bit of unsure, they will go with the other person that's fully sure, you know. Okay, and look, to be fair, I I also understand that because there's a certainty that comes in and it's the estate agent's job. At the end of the day, the estate agent doesn't work for the buyer. They work for the seller. Their job is to advise the seller where there is uh, where where there are competing bids. They need, you know, it, it doesn't just come down to money. And by the way, that's a good thing that will work in your favor sometimes as well while mm. you know um so there will be instances where that works in your favor that it does come down to the better bid it's not the highest bid it's the better bid and, and they want a- to shift it as soon as possible as well because they generally get you know higher commission when they shift it as fast as possible no well look yes there's an element to that um but believe it or not it's not even about the higher commission or less commission it's that actually all of the stats show us that the longer delay, if there's any element of delay, um, that increases the chances of something falling through. And there are so yeah. many reasons for that. It could be, it could be mortgage, it could be finance, it could be people's circumstances change. But mm-hmm. any element of delay, uh, brings in a greater probability of the mm-hmm. sale falling through for any number of reasons. So actually, it's not even about chasing higher commissions. It's actually about shortening the delay. But in many cases, that's what the sellers want as well because. Um, you know, and I, I suppose I, I'm definitely not here to defend estate agents, but generally speaking, it's the sellers who make the decision. Do you know what's a little mm. bit like gazumping? It's that's generally a buyer-led yeah. practice that sellers go along with. Um, yeah. you know, I definitely but, wish I had an opportunity, or the bank had an opportunity to speak to the seller themselves. You know, yeah, I, do you know that's an interesting one. Actually, could there be a more compelling case? In, in fact, in one way, does that? show the importance in the digital age you know i'm a huge proponent of using technology and does it show the importance of actually having when i say a good working relationship making sure that the person who's putting your case forward knows you very well understands Mm. your position when you were bidding were you bidding in person or was it through online technology it was actually over email which i feel like if it was an actual bid bidding I don't know I actually don't even know the word for it but like if it was like say an auction style bid yeah you would see the other bids as well but this was through email so I had no idea how many other people were bidding on it it felt just very rushed obviously because it was just like trying I was trying to get it finished as fast as possible because I really wanted the house and I knew that I had that time limit as well um I think there was a couple of people bidding and then it was down to like two of us. Um, So I don't know. And um, yeah, to be honest, Sarah Kim, there's no excuse now for a lack of transparency because um, there are online bidding tools available to every estate agent to plug into their websites. Um, mm. And these are not expensive tools. So there's no excuse for no transparency with the bidding. You should always know how many people you're bidding against. And actually with any of the online bidding platforms you can actually see not just when the last bid was made how much it was made but you can actually um track all of the bids to certain parties so you can see okay well this party have been we're first in with the bidding we know they're very motivated they Mm. are jumping up in increments of um you know two and a half thousand or five thousand or something like that so actually there's you can track a pattern so actually bidding um through email that's that's frustrating and and actually there's from a 
UX point of view, from a from a user and customer experience point of view, there's no excuse for that anymore. So actually, that's one of the takeaways we'd like estate agents to to mm. get from this as well, that actually buyers don't like the lack of transparency if yeah. you're not using online bidding tools. And one thing I would say to you, I know you mentioned there, and it's just as an aside that you couldn't buy through auction. Now, rules have been changed and brought in over the last decade to ensure that people who are getting a mortgage can buy through auction but I, I fully appreciate it's um uh you I, need to I, really yeah. be very organized you, to be able to do that you definitely can sorry I should have phrased that different you definitely can but there's no guarantee mm. and that's why it's like not worth it for me anyway and I yeah. think if you're going to buy an auction you just need to have cash yeah and um, at any point with the properties, you know, you've had a particularly frustrating journey. And unfortunately, we hear it all the time. And some of this is down to bad practices across, mm. um, you know, across banking. Some of it's true to bad practices across estate agents still, you know, not using tools that are available. And um, but we have some really antiquated things like uh, paying your book and deposit that has no security for either side. Have you ever gotten to the point of paying a, uh, even the the kind of 5% book and deposit? No, I haven't got that far yet. Okay, That's no. the next hurdle, is it? Yeah. Well, no, well, just, I suppose, <laughs> to make people aware that actually you could pay your book and deposit and then have it handed back to you and said, actually, thanks, but we've changed our mind, which is okay. an absolute kick in the teeth uh, yeah. for home buyers. And, and by the way, that works both ways. A home buyer can get their book and deposit back and say to the seller, actually, no, we've changed our mind. Thank you. Oh, so yeah, okay. it's, it's a bad system that doesn't serve either party. Um, So it's just something that should have been uh, done away with. Um, It's just yeah. bad policy, bad practice. um, And it's something that shouldn't still exist. Uh, but where are you with your, with your, uh, you know, I, I, I fully appreciate the frustration you've been through and, you know, really our purpose for talking to you today was to try see if there's something the industry can learn can we improve? Can we eliminate some of the delays, eliminate some of the risk, add in some greater certainty, add in greater transparency? So at least if you have the frustration of not winning a bid, you at least have some understanding as to why or mm. why the other part of the winning bid was the winning bid. You know, so I, where, well, what, yeah. what would you like the industry where to am I? Where am I with it all is, um, so I think for people that are self-employed, they just really need to have everything together before they even think about like if they're thinking about if they're like oh I don't want a house now if you're even thinking about buying a house in four three four five years time start the process now because I started this about four years ago started saving um and you have to have so most people don't know this actually so I know most people now a lot of people now will be like we know all this information, Sarah, but you have to have three years of books. So while I'm up against now and what was so frustrating about losing that house was because I worked my ass off for years. Uh, I took a little break last year because I actually just reached burnout. Um, and what I'm up against now is that because of that break, it's impacted my books. So I'm reapplying for a mortgage this week because obviously that house fell through. My six months mortgage in principle was up, but also um, I had got the letter of approval. So by getting that, that cancels that mortgage in principle and I have to reapply. 
So by reapplying it uh, and with that break in my income, it's uh, obviously going to affect what like price I will get on my mortgage now. So I would just ask people to just like bear that in mind with whatever you're doing. Um, and yeah, I guess where that's where I'm at with it all at the moment. That's, um, that's really else. frustrating. Are you dealing with a bank or a broker? So I'm dealing with a bank and I know everyone says deal with a broker, but the girl that I'm dealing with in the bank is honestly just right on my team at the moment. She rang that auctioneer last week for me like she couldn't have been more helpful. Um, And I way prefer dealing with people directly instead of having like that middle man, you know, and because I've developed a great relationship with my bank and my and the girl in the mortgage sector now I feel like I just know exactly what I need to do um and maybe for people it's like really like I I obviously was uneducated about what was involved in the whole buying a house procedure and like I don't know does this come down to like needing to learn this in school or something else but like, my God, there's more to it than just buying a house, you know? Oh, oh, there's so much there. First of all, I'm so happy to hear you say that you really feel like your bank is on your team. I love that. And mm. um, wh- which bank are you dealing with? I'm dealing with AIB. I've just banked with them for so long and my company is with them. Um, now, obviously, I had frustrations with yeah. them before. But in this last process, she has just gone out of her way to help me. And I, I just love... I love that you know you no know, I no, I, I think that's amazing like genuinely I think this is genuinely the first time I've heard a mortgage applicant say to me I really feel like the bank was on my team because that's the way it should be they should be on your team yeah you know and that you really should feel like they're on your side so that's fantastic so um that's and somebody the other there. day somebody sorry somebody the other day just told me that they were actually dealing with a broker and had major difficulties with them so it's fantastic. interesting to see both sides of it actually yeah, no, absolutely it is. And yeah. look, we absolutely want the banks and the mortgage providers to really, you know, be helping um, to, to be helping their applicants. So that's fantastic to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of undereducated, um, that's an interesting way to talk about the market. Um, because I, I, and I and the interesting thing is that actually generations of home buyers were uneducated on the market and they just got a really harsh education as they were thrown into it and having to deal with everything. And there was never a feeling of um, being empowered. You know, I don't think there's ever been a generation that felt empowered when they came to getting a mortgage or finding property. But um, what do you wish you had have known? Um, Actually, just before I touch on that, I feel like people speak down to you um, when you aren't fully aware of all the goings on in the industry and what to do like this is like having a kid for the first time you haven't a clue um, and instead of like banks or estate agents speaking down to you and using terms you don't know maybe they would actually help you in the process because if they help you in the process you're helping them make money that's how that's how things work you know um but it hasn't seemed to work in that way um sorry your question just again no I I actually do you know before we move on to the second part of that um actually I think that's a really important takeaway that is worth repeating there for the industry to take away uh there should never be an instance where 
any consumer going through, whether they're buying or selling or their investors feel like they're being spoken down to. So how how could uh, mortgage lenders and estate agents, how could they help educate buyers without making buyers or or the consumers feel like they're being Mm. spoken down to? Um. Well, as you can hear, like I'm a very confident person, but I've been made feel very, very small and little in this whole process. Um, It's put a dampener on my spirit now, if I'm being honest. Um, But maybe moving forward. Oh, God, I don't know. Um, uh, That's actually a really good question. I'm not sure how they can... um, I'm not I'm not actually yeah. sure how they could help because they are only trying to do their job as well. Yeah. Um, and I suppose their expectation is that people know, but maybe to ask the question in in a way that doesn't belittle somebody. Yeah, no, um, I, I think that I think that's really fair. You know, I think that's a fair ask. And the reality is we've had uh, buyers agents or essentially estate agents who work exclusively for home buyers. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had them now for kind of two decades in Ireland. Um, but I know that most first time buyers, they don't have the budget to pay for this. So I wonder, is there some sort of support that the mortgage lenders could be providing you know, where that, you know, because it, it has never made sense to me. And I've been in the industry for almost two decades. It's never made sense to me that in such an important transaction, the seller who's gone through this before is fully representative uh, or fully represented, but the buyers aren't. So yeah. it, it doesn't make sense that people feel alone on this journey. And we definitely don't want people to feel like they're, you know, that their spirit is being diminished. And, you know, you look, unfortunately, what I'm hearing from you today is not unique. We're hearing this more and more and it's it's trying to understand, you know, where the heart of the problem lies. You know, I find that no matter what issue we're talking about in terms of whether it's uh, for rental, whether it's challenges that investors are facing and and buy to let um, investors, residential investors or home buyers, whether they're first time buyers or trying to trade up or down for whatever reason, um, it all comes back to supply, that we don't have enough supply and we don't have a variety of supply. So even where there are, and you know, and, and in 2023, we have an increased volume of properties on the market. While it might feel like that to most people, there are more properties available than there were this time last year in some regions of the country. It's up to 60% greater supply. It's still historically low, but we have greater supply this year than we did last year. But it's there's no variety of the type and the quality yeah. so that's a real problem but I, yeah. I'm interested when you feel that you were really uneducated in the process you know like what do you wish you had have known um, you know and how can we get that information out to people um, I guess the two the two bed and the one bed loan to value that's really important so for a one bed you need 20% for a two bed you need uh, 10% um so that's really important information because um, I was looking at a one bed. It, it basically was a two bed, but it was down as a one bed. Um, and yeah, that's important information. What else do I wish I knew? Um, just even in terms of uh, what's required when you go through each process. So when you go sale agreed, what what do you do then you know or what happens and I feel like I only figure out what happens 
and I'm only like given information when that process happens so maybe I I don't know where I I'm sure this information maybe is online or something but I thought this whole process would be way easier than it is you know um yeah Okay, no, it's interesting because, you know, just when you when you made the comment there earlier in the interview, it's like, you know, how early do you start preparing for this? Like, where do you learn about this? Is it back in school? And while it might seem a bit ridiculous to talk about um, in school being trained on how to buy your first home, actually, there's kind of a larger question about financial education at school. Mm. And we know not just in Ireland, you know, we know globally that um, people are not being well enough educated on the realities of everyday finance in school mm. when actually that's exactly when they should be learning those lessons. Arguably, they should be learning them from primary school. But we're leaving school with very little financial education. And and I, I paid a sharp price for that myself um, yeah. during the past or during the, the last crash. So it's something I'm very aware of. And it's something that I feel yeah. really strongly should happen. But it's almost knowing you know, how how far to bring it back. And I suppose one of the things we should point out to any home buyers listening in here today, you know, that obviously I, I, I need to point out that you have an added layer of complexity because you're not going in as an employee, you're self-employed. And, and single as well is probably another fun element to this. <laughs> yeah, like to be honest, being a single uh, self-employed entrepreneur uh, going in to apply for a mortgage, there probably isn't, uh, there there probably isn't more of a disadvantage you could give yourself um, unless you have dependents. I mean, that's yeah. the only way you could disadvantage yourself. More. Thank God and, there's none of them. Well, I, I can tell you, um, I was a self-employed single parent going through my um, first application. and uh, yeah, But it was a different time 20 years mm-hmm. ago. It was a very different time. I wouldn't be able to do today what we could do 20 years ago. But I understand, I understand the challenges there. Um, mm. But actually then for people who are self-employed, because look, I, I, I you know, and I'm, I'm conscious of time and, and we need to finish up, but I am also conscious that like, there's a lot that we've talked about here that could, that could be improved. So actually being self-employed, is there a way to make the mortgage process more straightforward for people who are self-employed? You know, three years is a very long time to look at when quite frankly, you could be an employee so, for example, an employee uh, of yours could go in and using the same organization, they would just need to show six months of mm-hmm. their of their salary and certainly no more than 12 months. So um, through your business, uh, if you don't mind me asking, are you an employee? Uh, of your I'm an employee of my business, but it's my company. Yeah. So, um, you know, there is an argument there that that if you were to bring in another employee, they would just be treated as an employee, even though it's exactly mm. the same business, exactly the same risk. So I wonder, are we, um, have we not done enough to fix the mortgage applications for self-employed people? Because uh, I don't, I think that uh, honestly, my bank has taken into account so many factors within my company and even they've taken into account what my company earns rather than what, I earn you know um so I I think that is a great element um but there's not enough taken into account like I are like I obviously have earned quite a bit to be able to do this all by myself you know um but I think three years is far too long and I know that there's like the limiting factor of like they need to see that 
it's sustainable or that like the money is going to come from somewhere you know um but I don't know yeah there has to be some other element to make it like a little bit easier like three years is a long time you know and yeah Sarah Kim, before we finish up, and thank you so much. I, I genuinely appreciate you being so honest and forthcoming uh, um, with the information because this we need the industry to hear this. Um, mm. you know, because there there's you know, we we talk a lot of what we talk about in the marketplace is based on assumptions, and we don't really get a lot of direct feedback from consumers mm. um how come through the other side. You know, the, the only bit of feedback we get is usually on the day of handover where it's a little bit like childbirth. You forget the pain that came before it and, <laughs> and you just feel the delight of having the keys in your hands that you yeah. it's like, great, great. We're here. Great. Thank you to everybody who helped us. That's it. Um, whereas actually we need to we need to get a better understanding of what's happening along the process. But mm-hmm. have you have you tapped into any have you made any inquiries about the housing for all supports for buyers? So in terms of uh, shared equity or um, have you tapped into have you, have you made contact with your local authority to inquire about their home loans? Because actually, once you've been refused more than, I think, three times, then there, there's a different route for you in terms of local authority mortgages. Um, under Housing for All, there's a number of supports there and we actually have them posted on the iProperty Radio website, a list of all the Housing for All supports for both um, tenants, uh, for renters and for home buyers. But in terms of home buyers, if you were willing to um, look at a property that needed a bit of work, particularly now you're talking about looking in the Wexford area, there were mm. grants of up to 30,000 properties that have been vacant for up to two years. And mm. that can be increased by a further 20,000, so up to 50,000 for properties that are derelict. Uh, mm. um, so the, there are supports there. Would you be willing to even consider and look at some of those? Yeah, um, and I was made aware of them because I one of my dreams is to do up an old property but just with the limitations of my mortgage I can't buy somewhere that has been um uninhabited for so long because it's uh, like not a habitable state um but yeah one of my dreams is to do that so yeah maybe down the line but well, you you're talking about the limitations of your mortgage, but actually, as we stand today, you don't have a mortgage. So yeah. I would suggest you reach out to your local authority, talk to them about their home loan schemes and see what you might be eligible for. Mm. Um, and that might just open up a whole new area for you. And in terms of in terms of value, I mean, look, quite frankly, I, I've always been a purist in terms of if you can get a property, add value to it. Uh, one in an area that you like I mean you know you're passionate about the area that, that mm-hmm. you were you know and about the Wexford area there's still properties there where value can be unlocked if you're willing to do the work and particularly if that's work that you'd like to do and yeah. given your work as a photographer I'd love to see you document that journey so look that's that's just one suggestion for you Um, I understand it might not be the ideal it would definitely require more work but the outcome the outcome in two to three years time mm. could be much better yeah I think anyone who's self-employed isn't afraid of a bit of hard work so <laughs> definitely willing very good okay before we finish up today um first of all let me thank you for being so forthcoming there um but also I genuinely want to wish you the best of luck and any help or support yeah. or guidance that we can give you um please reach out 
outside of outside of the show please reach out we'll certainly be um willing to help you in any way that we can do mm-hmm. you have kind of a message for home buyers who might be or intending home buyers who might be in a similar position or perhaps to the industry do you have a message for the industry um no i think with people maybe just keep going i think don't lose hope like hopefully they're a property well i've heard loads of people that they knew they knew when the property came that they're in now that they went through all this struggle that they knew that the ones that fell through weren't meant for them so i think just keep going and we'll get there you know very good and uh, Sarah Kim I loved when you said earlier in the interview that you know life is generally working for you and it doesn't always feel like that in the moment Um, but I don't want to give kind of a platitude when we know that there are system failures here that are also so uh, we don't want to confuse we don't confuse uh, the universe with like I said system failures uh, across our mortgages and our housing policy but um, I think it's a great attitude to have and genuinely best of luck anything that we can do to help we certainly will and please stay in touch and keep us updated on your journey I I genuinely uh, mean that and reach out to your local authority because there are so many supports there that are not being fully availed of um, Mm. and there just might be an exciting opportunity there so that's all we've time for today my thanks to Sarah Kim Watchhorn for joining us and for sharing um, her expertise with us today. Also, our thanks to producer Katie Tallon and to the podcast production team at Hear Me Roar Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. Huge thanks to our show sponsor today, Property District, your strategic communications partner for making these kind of conversations possible. And thank you for or thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of Property Roundup for iProperty Radio. 